Amen. God is good to us today, and I'm so thankful for His goodness. I think today we might preach. A little bit of teaching might catch myself in preaching a little bit. I don't know, but we'll, that's what my pastor when I was a teenager used to call it, preaching. Um, but we'll see. I'd like to go to the book of Exodus. You can turn there if you want to. You could probably quote it at this point. Um, for those of you that may be getting weary hearing about the temple, this may be the last Sunday that you hear about it for a minute or two. I don't know. Um, but I'm thankful for the Word of God, aren't you? Exodus 25, of course, the Lord is speaking to Moses and telling Moses what to say to the children of the Lord, Israel. And the Lord said to Moses in Exodus 25 and 8, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. This is more than just a passing statement from the Lord to Moses for Israel because of him wanting to have a tabernacle that we know if we studied it, we won't take time today, that it is a type and shadow of the coming Christ and of the way to approach God and the way that God approached man and the way that man gets back into the presence of God. All is in this tabernacle. That's why in the book of Exodus we see so many chapters all given to the layout of the tabernacle. It was more than, why in the world is so much of this one book devoted to the design, the layout, the implementation of a building? Well, it's not about the building. It's a pattern. We know it's types and shadows, and we can see that throughout the, uh, old te- throughout the New Testament. But we miss the fact, if we're not careful, the reason is the desire of God is to dwell among His people. You know, we grow up oftentimes hearing about God, and in our relationship with God, if we're not careful, we always put Him far away. God up high looking down on us, you know, when I was a kid waiting to smack me with a big stick if I got it wrong, you know. But, of course, that's not who he is. He, yes, he sits on the throne of heaven. Heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool, stool, the, the Scripture tells us. But he desires, we see from him telling Moses to declare to the children, his desire is to dwell among you, to dwell among them. The word there is a place of abode. He wanted to be with his people. God's desire is to be with his creation. His desire is to rule over it, but to be with it. This is the desire of God. And so we see that evidenced here. And so this was a a beginning of restoration of relationship. If you go back to Genesis, Genesis 1 through 3, you see the Lord walking with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. This was his pattern to talk with Adam daily. They would meet and they would talk. We know this because on the day that once they had sinned and fallen, the Bible says Adam and Eve hid themselves. And the scripture tells us the Lord came looking for them and said, hey, where are you? Now the Lord knew where they were, didn't he? You think the Lord didn't know where Adam and Eve were? 
Of course he knew. But he needed them to identify where they were. See, the Lord knows where you and I are in relationship to him. But what he wait and his desire is to be with us. But what he waits for is for you and I to identify to him where we are in relationship to him. And that's what he was doing with Adam and Eve in the garden when he said, where are you? He needed them to acknowledge we're not in the place we should be where you usually come and meet with us. They had to acknowledge that. He wasn't confused about where they were. They weren't playing hide and seek in the garden. The Lord knew where they were. So you and I, every day in our life, we have to acknowledge where we are. In rela- but we see that that was, the, that was the relationship God had with his creation. He walked with Adam in the cool of the day. They talked in the garden. Man, how would that be? Can you imagine getting up every morning in the midst of paradise? And the living God comes and meets with you. And walks with you. And talks with you. And he's in no hurry. And you're in no hurry. He has no agenda other than to be with you. You have no agenda other than to be with him. And there's no calendar or watch stressing you out. That's what Adam had. He dwelt with his creation in the garden. But they sinned, and sin broke that. And so when we get here to Exodus, what we find is the beginning of the Lord seeking to restore relationship. The desire of God didn't change because man sinned. The desire of God to be with creation remained the same. But man broke the relationship. And so God said, in seeking to restore, he got them out of Egypt, a type and shadow of sin. They're in the wilderness. And he's like, okay, I got them separated from the Egypt, the world they were a part of that was holding them in bondage. I got them out. I don't have them where I want to take them yet. But before I get them where I'm taking them, I need them to begin to understand my desire to be with them. And so in the wilderness, he said, let's start right here. I've got you separated from Egypt. Let's start the process of you understanding my desire to dwell among you. It's the beginning of a restoration of right relationship between God and his people. And so here he says to them, let them. It wasn't something Moses could do for himself for all of them. Together they had to make him a sanctuary. And the purpose was for him to dwell among them. I know you know this because we talked about it about four or five weeks ago. But we need to see it's the beginning of that restoration of relationship. And we see it continue in the types and shadows. Again, we're not going to walk through all that this morning. And so we see that take place. And, of course, man does what man does. God starts to dwell among them. And then, then men take that for granted. And the relationship is fractured. And they, they turn this pattern of approaching God into more. Of, they start getting traditions and routines. And, and God becomes less personal to them. Not because God wants it that way. But because man has made it religious routine. And going through it. And they begin to no longer value this relationship of God among them. 
And you see Israel through the judges and through the kings, and you, you see him going back and forth. And one king that has the mind of God, has a right relationship with God, puts the kingdom of Israel back in order, and they, they get close to God again. The word of God becomes valuable again. God's working among them. And then something happens. Another king comes up that doesn't serve God the way their father did, and they start turning to the gods of this world. And this relationship between God and man is fractured again. But the temple's ever-present as a reminder to them of God's desire to dwell among them. It's ever present. Solomon, because David, his father, had a desire, built the temple. We talked about that. And the glory of the Lord, just like it did in Moses' tabernacle, the glory of the Lord came and filled the temple when they sacrificed to the Lord. Then they build the temple in Jerusalem. But then they go the way of the world again. They become captive to Babylon. The temple ultimately becomes destroyed. But you see what happens even in their captivity in Babylon. After a while. There's a man named Nehemiah that had a relationship with God. Read it. It's in there. Nehemiah had a relationship with God. He was the king's cupbearer, the Bible says. And Nehemiah one day goes before the king, heathen king carries a cup, and he's got sort of a sad countenance. He can look at his face and say, something's not right. The king looked, and the king says, I'm paraphrasing. You can go read the book of Nehemiah. The king says, Nehemiah, what's up? You, you look a little down here. What's, what's, what's going on? Now, he could lose his life because you weren't supposed to go into the presence of the king of a sad countenance. See, it mattered how you looked when you went in front of an earthly king. How much more should it matter how I look when I come in the presence of the king? Nehemiah knew that, but he said, king, don't be angry with me. He said, how can I, I can't remember the words, rejoice, be thankful. How can I, whatever, when my city lies in ruins? The king asked him, what's going on? Nehemiah said, "I'd, I'd like to rebuild the walls. And the king said, okay, again, read the whole book. It's there. And Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem that had been torn down. God put it in his heart. And he went back and he built the walls, began to rebuild the walls. Matter of fact, in 52, 53 days, something like that, they had rebuilt all the walls. Why? Because the people had a mind to work. And they worked. And so what was happening? That was the beginning. Then you see Ezra and these others come along. You have Nehemiah, you have Ezra, and then ultimately Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the Lord, puts it in the hearts of these men, and Zerubbabel begins to rebuild the temple. I think I've mentioned this before, but I think it bears mentioning again. They couldn't rebuild the temple until they rebuilt the walls. Sometimes what we want to do is we want to work on the temple, but we never put walls up to protect the temple that we work on. And we wonder why I have to work on the temple and then something happens again. And then I got to work on the temple and something happens again. I'll tell you why. You got to get some walls built up around the temple. You got to get some walls built that says certain things aren't allowed to come to this temple. And so that's why Nehemiah built the walls first. And so, so we see that even in Babylonian captivity, the Lord put it back in their heart. I want to dwell with them. And they knew the temple is how God approaches to us. And so they built the temple and then, of course, we see in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ comes. We read it in Malachi. We spent a lot of time one week just talking about Malachi 3, right? And so maybe you can put that up there, Malachi 3 and 1. 
And it speaks to us of this voice that's in the wilderness, right? And we see this prophetic utterance of the prophet Malachi says, I'll send my messenger and he'll prepare the way before me. And the Lord who you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant that you delight in. He'll come, says the Lord of hosts. And so we see this prophetic utterance of the Lord coming to his temple. And then, of course, we come to the New Testament and we see Jesus Christ coming. Who is God manifest in the flesh. Yes, 1 Timothy 3.16. He is God manifest in the flesh. And so Jesus Christ comes to the temple and he tells the, Jeru- he tells the Jews when he's preaching there one time, he says to them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. And they say, what are you talking about? This temple was 46 years in being built. But they didn't understand. The Bible says they didn't understand. He spoke of the temple, which was his body. Why was it his body? Because Jesus Christ, in him, Colossians tells us, in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The body of Jesus Christ was the temple of the living God. God dwelt in him. This is why John 1 says the word was God, and John 1.14 says, and the word, or God, dwelt among us. Remember what his desire is? To dwell among his people. And so we see, again, these, the Lord, he's getting closer. He's getting closer. He's trying to restore that which was lost in the garden. He's trying to get back in relationship, closeness to man, daily communion with mankind, daily fellowship with mankind, daily conversation, daily walking to where man is not dependent on self, but man is fully dependent on God. Man is no longer walking in his own devices, but man is allowing the Lord to supply all of his need according to his riches and glory. And so now he goes from a temple to this man, Christ Jesus, who is all God and all man, and he's that much closer. And the living God is walking among his people, dwelling among them. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Just like what he said he wanted to do in Exodus. I will dwell among them. And so he's closer. But then Jesus is talking to his disciples in John chapter 14, and he says, They said, show us the Father. And he said, have I been so long with you and you don't know me? If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. And then a little bit later, he tells them, he says, you know him when he's talking to them about the Holy Ghost. He says, you know him because he dwells with you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. He dwells with you, Jesus said. Who was dwelling with him? Well, Jesus was dwelling with them. This is why it made sense when he told them the Holy Ghost that's going to come, the Father's going to send the Holy Ghost in my name. So we know the name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. Jesus said he's going to send him in my name. And he said, you already know him because he dwells with you and shall be in you. You've heard that before, haven't you? He shall be in you. In you. What is it? It's one more step of the Almighty God saying, I want to dwell among them. And I'm getting closer. I'm trying to restore relationship that was lost. I'm trying to bring man and I back into the relationship. This is why this scripture declares to us, He came to seek and to save. You ever heard that verse? What did He come to seek and to save? Ah. It doesn't say he came to seek and to save those who were lost. 
He came to seek and to save that which was lost. What was lost? The relationship was lost in the garden. And he came to seek and to save that. It's all, see, first the tabernacle, Moses, I'm trying to get closer. That's not enough. They don't get it. Okay, I'm going to come because, because he sought for a man to make up the head, just stand in the gap, but he found none. So his arm brought salvation. So what happened? God said, the only way I can do this, I got to go become one of them. I got to wrap myself in flesh and dwell among them. And then I'll get, and even this isn't enough because even the body that I put myself in is going to be temporal. And so what I've got to do now, I've got to become the ultimate sacrifice for their sins so they can be redeemed and then what I'll do is I'll send my spirit and I'll dwell in them this is why the apostle Paul could say what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost whose you are and what is it? It's a restoring of relationship. When you and I are baptized with the gift of the Holy Ghost, the living God comes and dwells in us. It is a restoring of right relationship. I can have communion with the Father who dwells here. This is why on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, we, of course, we can quote Acts 2.38. Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise, verse 13, is to you, to your children, to them that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And they continued daily, steadfastly, in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. They continued in fellowship. What fellowship is that? Oh, they went out to eat together at Jerusalem Burger King. No. Yes, they had fellowship with one another. That's the body of Christ. But they understood. They understood. He that was with us is in us. Remember what he told him? He said, when the Holy Ghost has come, all these things I've said, you don't understand them right now, but once the Holy Ghost comes, it'll bring it all back to your remembrance. And so when they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they were like, oh my goodness, he's with us. He's with us. He ascended, but he's with us. The Spirit of God has come back and he's in us. And they knew we can now have fellowship with him every day. It's a little closer to what Adam lost in the garden. It's a little closer to what Adam lost in the garden. This fellowship, one with another, this fellowship daily. They continued daily in fellowship. But it's still not the fullness of what they had in the garden. And so he's not done yet. That was a lot of foundation. But I need to make sure we made this journey and understand these aren't just pieces of different things. It is the plan of God to be in relationship with his people. It is the desire of God to dwell among us. The word dwelt in John 1 and 14 where the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt there means to fix one's tabernacle. It's his desire. And the thing about God is he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when God says, this is what I want, it doesn't change. 
His desire is still the same. Ephesians chapter 2. Watch this. You just got about, see, see how amazing that was? We got about four hours of Bible study in 20 minutes just then, or 15 minutes. Probably more than that, because we could have talked about the type and shadows of the tabernacle for an hour and a half. So, But watch, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11. Now, this is where we finished last week. I know that, but this is important. Watch, because I believe the Holy Ghost really wants us to see this thread so that we get the mind of God through all of this. Ephesians 2 and 11, I'm going to try to read quickly. Wherefore, remember. Everybody say, remember. He's talking to us. Remember. He's talking to the church. Remember that you being in time past, so he's talking about our past, in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh. What does that mean? He's saying, hey, you Gentiles, you're called uncircumcised by the ones that are circumcised. You're called uncircumcised by the Jews. Does that make sense? The Jews are the circumcision. Gentiles were the uncircumcision. And so this is all he's saying. Remember in the past, you Gentiles were looked on differently by the Jews. Okay, verse 12. That at that time... What time? Time passed. At that time, you were without Christ. Oh, what a tragedy. You were without Christ. You were aliens or removed from the commonwealth of Israel. And you were strangers from the covenants of promise. Oh, what a sad day that must have been. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. Watch the next three words. Having no hope. Ever felt that way? No hope. Why did you have no hope? Because you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Because you were strangers. You were, the promise was not to you alone originally. It was to Israel. And so you had no hope. And just to give you a picture of what that hope was, or lack of hope was, you were without God in the world. You want to talk about a life that is without hope. It's a life that is without God in the world. Still the same today. And so Paul is writing to us, to the church at Ephesus. He's writing and he's saying, you need to remember who you were. You remember where you were. You had no hope. You were lost. You were a stranger. You, you were without God. Verse 13. I really like the word it starts. Those two words it started. But now. Everybody say, but now. But now, I'm thankful for but now. But now, how now? In Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, you are made nigh or close by what? Oh, the blood of the Lamb. Oh, the blood of the Lamb. You and I who were far off, who were removed, who were without hope, who were without God, we who did not have the relationship that he wanted with us he knew the only way I can get him in right relationship is I got to deal with that sin issue that separated us and so I'll shed my blood I'll become the blood of the new covenant that is shed for the remission of sins you and I were made close 
Not by our own goodness. Not by the works of men, lest we would boast. But we were made close by the precious blood of the Lamb. The blood of Christ gave us avenue to come to him. Verse 14. For he, Jesus Christ, is our peace, who hath made both one, both one, the uncircumcised and the circumcised, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition, that which divided us. Verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh, that's the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ, he abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. That's the Old Testament law. In his flesh he destroyed that when he went to the cross. Why? To make in himself, this is why Jesus did it, to make in him of two, one new man. This is why Paul later on could write, in Christ there's neither Jews nor Greeks, bond nor free, but Christ is all in all. This is what Jesus did. He brought the two and said, I'm going to make one flesh. All right? That's what that scripture is talking about. So making peace. Verse 16, and... That he might reconcile both, Jews and Gentiles, reconcile both. Reconcile is to bring back into right relationship, yes? You've heard of people getting divorces and they quote the reason as irreconcilable differences. When Jesus saw us in our sin, he said, if I don't do anything, this cannot be reconciled. And they can never do anything to reconcile the difference between us. And so Jesus said, I so desire the relationship that I'm going to reconcile. I'm going to become reconciliation. I'll shed blood. I'll become sin for them. And I'll give them my sinlessness. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we would be made the righteousness of God in him. That's what the scripture teaches us. It was all about restoring relationship with us. Because he wants to dwell among us. So that he might reconcile both Jews and Gentiles unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them which were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now watch verse 19. This is where we finished last week. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers. Remember in verse 13, we were strangers, or 12, we were strangers. Now you are no more strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Verse 20, and are built upon the... What are we built on? What are we built on? Say it, read it together. You believe that? We, the church, we are built on something. We're built on a foundation. Jesus told the parable of a man that built a house, and one built a house on sand, and one built a house on the rock. You remember that story? And the winds came, and the rains came, and they beat against the house. Remember the story? And the house that was built on the sand, the winds and the rain beat against it, and what happened to the house? It fell. 
and the winds and the rain beat against the house on the rock, and what happened to it? It stood. Was the rain different? Was the wind different? What was the difference? The foundation, what it was built on. I'm telling you, what the church is built on matters. Doctrine matters. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. What is a chief cornerstone? A cornerstone in building is the place that is set first. And when the cornerstone is set, everything else is built out from that, up from that, out from that. Everything is measured and placed in relationship to that first stone that is set. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And then the apostles, they built their doctrine in relation to the chief cornerstone. This is why we so often looked at the acts of the apostles for what did they do? How did they baptize? What did they teach? Why? Because they're part of the foundation. And they were in relationship directly with Jesus Christ. They measure up. They have a plumb line like what the prophets saw in the Old Testament. And they're like, okay, we're in alignment with the chief cornerstone. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And Christ is the chief cornerstone. Amen? We read over these verses. We need to understand the importance of what's being said here. Verse number 21. In whom all the building, that's us, fitly framed together. Now, the beautiful thing about this building is this building is not static. The building is being written about here. Like, this building here, Static. Right? We're not going to come back tomorrow and see that it's 100 square foot bigger. Oh my goodness, the building grew overnight. Not going to happen. But this building that we are, when we're filled with His Spirit, washed in His blood, buried in His name, called the church, it's not a static building. Matter of fact, He's adding daily to the church such as should be saved. This is what He's doing. So this is the building that's a building that's fitly framed together. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Amen. Oh, what's a temple for? A temple is for a place for him to dwell. Next verse. In whom you also are builded together. For what purpose? Why are we built together? We're built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Here's what he's saying. I built you together for this purpose. I'd like to inhabit all of you. His plan has not changed. He's trying to get closer. He's trying to restore a relationship that was lost. This is why just religious routine and checking a few boxes doesn't do anything. He wants a relationship with us. He's trying to. This is why when the enemy says, oh, you know what? You don't need the church. You can make it on your own. Just you and God. Are in a, no, no, no. He dwells among the habitation, that which he builds together, that grows up together into him, a holy temple Amen? Okay. I could say a lot, but we got to hurry. 1 Peter chapter 2. I don't know if this is exciting you as much as it is. Maybe it excites me more because I know where I'm going so far, and you don't yet. But hang on. We're getting ready to get there. 
First Peter chapter, we need to understand these principles of the word of God so that we don't just say, well, you know, I go to church. I'm just, I, I'm just trying to be a good Christian. I'm just, no, 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 no. This is so much more. It's about the living God of all creation, the living God who fills all space and time and beyond all space and time, who is from everlasting to everlasting. It's about that living God living among us and us having relationship with him. It's his desire 1 Peter 2 and 1, we, we didn't take the time to read 1 Peter chapter 1. It would tell you what all this wherefore. You understand first chap, the first chapter of 1 Peter. So then he says, wherefore, understanding all the stuff I just said, here's what we got to do. Lay aside all malice, all guile, all hypocrisy, all envy, all evil speech. Lay all that stuff aside. Skip down to verse 4. Why? To whom coming? We're coming to the Lord. As unto a living, what? Ah, not a static stone. A living stone. When I was a kid in high school, I had a coach and my driver's ed and PE teacher. He was probably about 6'5". Muscled out black gentleman. All of us were scared to death of him. He was probably the, kind, he was probably the kindest guy ever in the room. But he, he, he had this tough persona. I don't think he'd ever hurt anybody. I really don't. Everybody. He, we, we were scared to death of him, but we loved him. Right? It was like. <laughs> and it's like the moment you started getting, thinking, oh, man, this guy's really cool. He'd put on that tough persona again. You're like, oh, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I remember he always had this saying. This guy comes to me right now. He had this saying. He'd say, they probably, teachers probably can't say this stuff anymore. I'm telling you how old I am. Okay. Uh. He'd say, boy, what are you thinking? Teachers probably can't even call kids boys anymore. <laughs> Have to check their pronouns first or something. God help us. God help us. God help us. God help us. But he would say, boy, what are you thinking? Not to me, to some other boy in the class, I'm sure. <laughs> boy, what do you think? And this is what he would then say. I'm going to treat you like a rock. And he'd never let you get a word. He didn't want you to. I'm going to treat you like a rock. Boy, you know what happens to a rock? And you're just staring at it, right? If I heard this once, I heard it 20 times. Not always to me. D different people. I'm going to treat you. You know what happens to a rock? A rock just lays there. After a while, somebody just comes along and kicks it. Boy, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to treat you like a rock. I don't know what that has to do with this. But here, here's the thing. This is what it has to do with it. He would say that, but he was talking about a rock that had no value, never changed. It was all it was ever going to be. It was all it was ever going to be. Wasn't adding any value to the whole. That's not what Peter's describing here. You got to catch this. You're going to understand in a minute. You got to catch this. To whom coming as unto a living stone. This is a stone that has value. This is a stone that is alive. Why is a living stone that? Why is a stone that? Stones are building blocks. Remember Jesus? They were telling him, look at how beautiful this building is in Jerusalem. Isn't it beautiful? Look at this. They were enamored. They were tourists. They were taking Jesus on a tour. Look at this beautiful temple, Lord, isn't it? Jesus wasn't impressed. He said, I tell you, there will not be one stone 
upon another. Why? You're looking at earthly stones. I have a picture of something far grander. What I visualize are living stones. What I'm building, I'm not going to build with earthly stones. What I'm building, I'm going to build living stones. And I'm going to be the first example. I'm going to be the chief cornerstone. Some of y'all getting it. Don't worry, the scripture is going to help us get all of it. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, or rejected of men, but chosen of God. And not only is this stone living, it's a precious stone. Next verse. You also, oh, hold on a minute, things just change right here. Not just him, but you also as living stones. Uh Uh-oh, that means I'm part of the process. If I stay in it, if I let him do what he wants to do, I become a part of what he's building. You also as lively or living stones, what happens? You are built up a spiritual house. A holy priesthood. Why? To offer up spiritual sacrifices. No longer earthly sacrifices, but spiritual sacrifices. I hear Paul in Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Offering up spiritual sacrifices, acceptable God by Jesus Christ. Verse 6. Wherefore, also, it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Hurry, Revelation chapter 4. I'm skipping, so we got to just go. We could read all of chapter 4. We're not going to. Matter of fact, we're probably not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you what Revelation chapter 4 is. You go read it. You just read it last month, but go read it again. Revelation chapter 4 is John's vision of the throne. First three chapters, he's seeing the Lord. The first three chapters, he's got messages to the seven churches. And then it says, after this, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord said to John, said, come up here. And chapter 4 of Revelation is John's vision of the throne. He's now seeing the throne. And he's, things are going on around the throne. It's there he sees 24 elders around the throne. He sees them casting their crowns. Chapter 5 of Revelation, we still are in the throne room. Everything's happening at the throne and around the throne room. Chapter 5, he sees the book put into the hand of the one sitting on the throne. And it's the book that has seven seals on the back of it. Chapter 6, we see them still. They're around the throne. And everything's happening at the throne and around the throne. But in chapter 6, the seals are starting to get open on this book that was put in his hand in chapter 5. So you got Revelation 4, 5, and 6, and it's all about the throne. Can I remind you of something we talked about a few weeks ago? Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Isaiah said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on his throne, and his train filled the temple. What did it tell us? It told us that the throne of God was in the temple of God. Chapter 4, 5, and 6, everything is taking place around the throne. We see John's vision of the throne. We see the book put in the hand of the one on the throne. Chapter 6, we see the opening of the seals on the throne. Chapter 7, I'd like you to go there, verse number 1. Revelation chapter 7, verse number 1. Watch this. 
And after these things, after all that he saw happening at the throne, around the throne, the 24 elders casting their crown, chapter 7, and after all these things, the opening of the first six seals in chapter 6, after these things I saw four angels, John said. They were standing on the four corners of the earth. They were holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascend from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels that were given to hurt the earth and the sea. And watch what this angel said to those four angels. Hurt not the earth. Don't hurt the sea nor the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And you can read down through the next several verses there. We're not going to, but if you read all the way through verse, uh, verse number 8, He names all 12 of the tribes of Israel. And there's 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe of Israel that are sealed in their foreheads. These were people that were separated unto God, holy virgins. These were people from every tribe of Israel, 12,000, that made up the 144,000. Go to verse 9. I know I'm talking fast, but I want to get here. I want you to see this. So we're at the throne, right? Remember? John said, after this. Everybody say, after this. After what? After the 144,000 were sealed. After six of the seven seals have been opened. After the elders have cast their crowns. After this, John said, I beheld. You have a picture you see me holding. What did you see, John? I saw a great multitude. It was a great multitude which no man could number. There were all nations, there were all kindreds, there were all people, there were all tongues, and they stood before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed with white robes, and they had palms in their hands, and they cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four beasts, and they fell before the throne on their faces, And they worshiped God and they said, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. But watch. Those verses right there excite me. But watch the next verse. And one of the elders said to me, Hey, John, what are these that are arrayed in white robes? Remember the every tribe, kindred, tongue, nation, white robes. One of the 24 elders says to John, hey, what are these that are in white robes? This innumerable number of people that are declaring all these things. And. Where did they come from? Next verse. And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are they that came out of great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb.
Sounds like somebody's in heaven already. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood. At this point, the only people who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb is the church. So the church is there. You with me? They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Watch. Verse 15. Therefore, are they before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night. Where do they serve Him? In His temple. And He that sits on the throne What's he going to do? He that sits on the throne will dwell among them. Let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. I'm trying to get back in right relationship. What I had in the garden with them, I want it restored one day. Those that have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, they will serve Him in the temple day and night. And He that sits on the throne will dwell among them. Isn't that beautiful? Well, let's just read another verse. They shall hunger no more. Neither thirst anymore, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. You remember the curse on Adam by the sweat of your brow? Oh, no more. Adam, you got to go plant and dig and forage and you got to, your own. oh, no, 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 no more. No hungering anymore. No more sweat of the brow. The, the sun's not going to light on you and there's not going to be heat that's going to cause the sweat of your brow. What is this? This is the restoration was lost they won't hunger anymore they won't be thirsty anymore the sun won't light in them no heat verse 17 for the lamb which is in the midst of the throne will feed them and will lead them to living fountains of water and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes we're going to skip a bunch of chapters go all the way to chapter 21 you really should go read all this the reason the book of Revelation is says, blessed are they that read this book. Because Revelation is a book filled with blessing. When you understand who, what it means to the church. I'd encourage you after today, go read Revelation. I know you just read it and many of you just read it in December. Go read it again. Watch how often he references the throne, the temple, the altar, incense. It's all in the temple. First. Okay, Revelation 21. We're going to finish in this chapter. John said, remember, Jesus appeared to him and said, I want you to write down the things that you see. John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Then there was no more sea. And I, John, what did he see now? He saw what? The holy city, 
a new Jerusalem, yes? Coming down from God out of heaven. What did it look like? It looked like what? It didn't look like a building. What I saw, John said, this new city, this new Jerusalem, it didn't look like a building to me. When I saw it, it looked like a bride. Hmm. Is the new Jerusalem a bride? Let's keep reading. And I heard a great voice out of heaven. What did the great voice out of heaven say? He said, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. This was the desire of God from the beginning. The tabernacle of God is with men. And what will he do? I'm not living for this life. The tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. It's no longer his desire at this point. It's what he's doing now. I saw the bride. The city was coming, but the city didn't look like a city to me. It looked like a bride. And I heard a voice when I saw the bride coming. And he declared, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Yes. Verse 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There'll be no more death, nor sorrow, no crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write these words, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the end. I will give to him that is thirsty of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I'll be his God. He'll be my son. I want you to notice these next verses because there is a turn that is made here. And it is a warning from God when he's allowing John to see into eternity. And it's a warning to us. But the fearful... And the unbelieving and the abominable, abominable is those that do things that are an abomination to God. The abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers, that word sorcerers there, if you look at the root of it, it is pharmacia, it's where we get pharmacies and drugs from. And sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Isn't it interesting that in the middle of John seeing the city and hearing the declaration of God that the tabernacle of God is with men and that God would dwell with them, that the voice wanted to declare one more time, hey, I need you to make sure they know who won't be here. He fills us with the Holy Ghost to separate us from those things that would keep us from an eternity with Him. 
because he wants to dwell with us for eternity. Verse 8. Well, that was verse 8. Verse 9, there came to me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. And he talked with me and he said, come here. I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. What's he getting ready to show him? He's getting ready to show him the church. Watch. Or the city. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It had the glory of God. That's what Paul was talking about. I reckon the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. It had the glory of God and her light, the bride's light, was like a... What was it like? Oh. It was like not just any stone. It was like a stone most precious. Even like a jasper stone. It was clear as crystal. Keep going. And it had a wall, great and high, and it had 12 gates. He's describing the city. The bride. It had 12 gates, and at the gates there were 12 angels, and there were names written on the gates, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Watch verse 13. And on the east there were three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates. Verse 14. And the wall of the city, what did it have? 12 what? Found what? Foundations. And what was the names on those foundations? You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. When Paul said you're built on the foundation of the apostles, he wasn't just seen in the present. He was seen eternally too. When the new Jerusalem comes, it's going to be built on the foundation of the 12 apostles. Doctrine matters. The house isn't built on the, and the foundation better not be sand. It better be a, uh, if you and I plan on eternity with him, and I do, I better be built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Christ best be the chief cornerstone. Because when that city comes, it's built on the foundation. And so what we're seeing here is just a glimpse of what he's building for there. We see it as a natural, we see it as a limited lifespan work. We just can't grasp eternity. But the scripture tries to reveal to us when you are born of the spirit, you become a living stone. Why? Because I make you a living stone because I plan on you being a part of what I'm building for eternity. I'm not just trying to get you through this life. 
I'm going to be with you forever. And when I filled you with my spirit, this is why Paul said, the Holy Ghost, it's just the earnest of your inheritance. It's just sort of like a down pain. When you get the Holy Ghost, you get all the spirit of God. But you're not seeing it in its fullness until eternity. And so the Holy Ghost is the earnest of your inheritance. It makes you a lively stone. Stand with me this morning, please. I'm going to keep reading, but I'm going to finish. You have no idea how much I'm calming myself down on the outside. Verse 17. Listen, hear the word. Let the Spirit of God speak to you through His living word. He measured the wall thereof. It was 144 cubits according to the measure of man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper. And the city was pure gold like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished. Now, now we know the foundations are the apostles. Yes? We just read that. But watch. The foundations of the wall of the city, they were garnished with all manner of precious stones. There were stones all over the wall that were precious. The first foundation was jasper. The second was sapphire. The third, chalcedony. The fourth, an emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, he's just naming all these precious stones. Foundation after foundation after foundation. Layer after layer and stones. Precious stones garnishing all of the foundation. I believe these are living stones. That are garnishing the foundations, garnishing the foundations of the new city. Verse 21, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. Notice verse 22. And I saw no temple therein. What? No temple in the city. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. What's happened? I'll tell you what's happened. It's the restoration of all things. No longer are we separated by any gulf. No longer are we separated by humanity and spirit. You no longer approach me a certain way through a temple anymore. Now I am the temple. And now there's no need for any of it because we are together forever. And the Lord God Almighty and that word and there in the Greek is chi, which means even or indeed. The Lord God Almighty, even the Lamb, are the temple of it. We should finish this chapter. Verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved. I want you to see that verse. The nations of them which are saved. 
shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And we get one final warning from the Spirit of God through John. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or makes a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Would you talk to the Lord right now where you are before we go this morning? There is a city. The Bible says Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. Jesus said to the disciples at Caesarea Philippi, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. They're the same. He's building a church. He's building a church. He's building a church. It's being made of lively stones, stones filled with his spirit, stones that he's chosen unto himself, that he places in the body as it pleases him and will grow up into him a holy habitation of the spirit. But that's far beyond just what we see in this life. He is preparing us for a place where we will spend eternity without any separation from Him. No longer approaching through a pattern of the temple, but He is the temple. And we abide and dwell in and with Him continually and forever and ever. But we examine ourselves before the Lord that there be nothing in us that defiles. No abomination, no lies, no hypocrisy, no whoremongers, any such thing. But we empty ourselves and we let him wash us by the blood of the Lamb. Come on, talk to him, Lord. I'm looking for a city. I'm looking for a city. I'm looking for a temple, this temple that you've chosen to place us in. I would today to walk in right relationship with you. I would to walk in pure and honest and holy relationship with you. This is why holiness matters to God. This is why separation from the things of the world and the abominations of the world matters to God. It's because he's desiring to build and is building a church, a city, a bride for himself that he'll bring to himself and the two will become one flesh. Jesus, we worship you. Jesus, we magnify you. Jesus, we trust in you. And we trust in your word. Come on, the way into the city has not changed. It's through repentance, a change of my thinking, a turning to the Lord. It's washing myself in the blood of the Lamb through the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. It's being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. If that spirit which dwelt in Christ dwelleth in you, it shall also quicken or make alive your mortal body. The Holy Ghost is the quickening or the living spirit. It's what makes us a living stone. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. We need to understand how all of this fits together with His eternal plan for us. And when we lay hold on these biblical truths, it changes how we walk in our daily living. Because I never just live for today. 
I live today for eternity. Amen. Can we thank him for his word before we go today? Jesus, we thank you today for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. I thank you for the sovereignty of your spirit and the purity of your holy word that you've given to us. I pray today, let this word be alive in our spirit. Let it be rehearsed in our heart. Let us understand and realize the power of what you are building and what it means to be placed in your body by your doing, O Lord. I worship you today. I thank you, Father, for the precious blood of the Lamb that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, that gives us place and entrance to the holy city, that makes us a part of your bride. I worship you today, Jesus. I worship I worship you today, Jesus. I worship you today, Jesus. I thank you and give you glory this morning. And I honor you who alone is worthy to receive glory and honor.